Hi there, everyone. Welcome to Food with Mark Bittman. As usual, you can reach us at food at markbittman.com. We're happy to hear from you and we'll answer. Send us questions, answers, criticisms, joy, etc. Also, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and rate it wherever you do that also. You might also consider subscribing to our thrice weekly newsletter, The Bitman Project at bitmanproject.com. And for all things related to our work, you can find them at markbitman.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. The interview that we're running today originally aired on June 14th, 2021. Hard to believe that's getting close to two years ago. It's with Eric Repair, the chef, longtime chef, and co-owner of La Bernadette. Repair, like many of us, had thought that the world, and for him, La Bernadette, would close for two weeks when COVID started. Those two weeks 
for Le Bernardin turned into March through October, but during our chat, Repair told me that he saw the light at the end of the tunnel. He was right, at least in the case of his much-acclaimed New York-based restaurant. Le Bernardin this month earned an unprecedented sixth four-star review from the New York Times, making history as the only restaurant to do so since the Times first published in 1851. Pretty amazing, yeah? I remember cooking at Le Bernardin with a chef or two before Eric. Eric was sous-chef at the time, cooking with Eberhard Mueller in the kitchen at Le Bernardin in... I don't know, 1987? That's getting to be a while ago. Anyway, it's a great time to revisit my chat with Eric. So here we go. Eric, welcome. Thank you so much. And I'm very happy to be with the legendary Mark Bittman. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for saying that. Um, I have to say, I was, I was, I mean, this is going to sound terrible. Well, we can edit it out, but I was called legendary by someone last week and I practically fell over. But anyway, I guess we're getting to the age where no one knows what to call us. So legendary. I mean, they could say old white guy, I suppose. So, no, you um, are a legend. I'd you are a legend with everything yeah. you have accomplished in your career. And, uh, well, we all know that in our world, the food world. So, thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, let's we can stop the log rolling, <laughs> as we say. Let's talk a minute about the difference between working directly for Jean-Louis Paladin, who was, you know, as we both know, you know, ten times better than I do, but as we both know, a lovely man, but also a holy terror. Um, <laughs> And then running your own restaurant, running it by yourself. What was that like for a young man? Well, first of all, when I came to the U.S. and I worked for Jean-Louis, I was coming from the kitchen of Joël Robuchon. They were two different universes. I can imagine. And if I can make an analogy, it's like coming out of Catholic school and going straight to Woodstock. (laughs) You know, like, so obviously Jean-Louis was Woodstock. (laughs) And... uh, it was, it was definitely a culture shock for me, but I learned a lot from Jean-Louis because he was so creative and so generous and uh, very interested by what we have in this country, which is beautiful, beautiful products uh, from produce to fruits and, and, and animals and so on. So I learned a lot from him, but we were working in that very tiny kitchen and I'm sure you, you have been in that tiny kitchen many times. Yeah. And, uh, he was doing miracles every day with the team because he was coming back from visiting uh, a farmer or someone who was uh, harvesting soft shell crabs and he would come at 5 p.m. And, uh, and he would write the menu for the same night and whatever you thought would be on the menu wasn't and you had to redo completely everything. And it was complete chaos and he loved it. And we actually were having fun with that kind of... Um, uh, chaos in his kitchen. Then when I when I came to um, to New York, it was different, of course. And then when I came to Le Bernardin, Le Bernardin was a, a very structured and very well uh, oil machine uh, and uh, and very disciplined in the kitchen uh, as well. So I was um, departing from the from the freedom that. Um, and the fun that was in, in, in Jean-Louis Kitchen to something that was fun in a different way, if I may. Le Bernardin had more of a, a 
a fixed menu. You knew what was going to happen every day. It was pretty regimented and so on. Do you know yes. the first time I heard a story like the story you just told about Jean-Louis, uh, I think actually Jean-Georges von Richten told me this story about someplace he worked when he was young where the chef would come in and say, no prep, do not do prep. I will tell you the menu an hour before we are due for service and then you will know what to prep. And to me, that sounds very difficult for the chefs, of course, but as a diner, that sounds like the most exciting thing imaginable. It, it, it can be uh, fantastic, but you take a risk. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> it's almost like a guinea pig. Because what are the chances that even a genius chef is going to have an amazing idea for every dish, every day with different ingredients that he finds at the last minute on the markets and so on? It's very unlikely. So with Jean-Louis, actually... I learn how to um, accept failure sometimes. Interesting, because some of the dishes were not—they uh, uh, were too too new. We didn't have time to really train or, or know if it was working or not. And sometimes, when he was eating the right note, it was the best meal of your life, the best dish ever. But sometimes we were like a bit of uh, uh, inconsistent, and uh, for me, it was interesting. It was an interesting experience because at Robuchon we were we were terrified by failure. It was not it was not something that was accepted uh, in that culture. So Jean Louis really um, reconciled a lot of things for me by by having that kind of a I, I call it crazy but <laughs> crazy lifestyle and and crazy um, ideas of bringing ton of ingredients, putting them on the kitchen table, and saying, guys. I think we're going to do this and we're going to do that and let's do it. And you were like, oh my God, I have half hour to really do that. And so anyway, it was interesting. Terrifying, yes. I mean, as as someone who on a, you know, on a very minor level is constantly making stuff up and never knowing what dinner is going to look like until it's really cooked. Um, I, I love that, but I also under, understand the terror of doing that professionally to then go out and say, this is going to cost you, I mean, in those days, $20 or whatever it was. But but um, I wonder if you remember any particular dishes that turned out really, really well or really, really badly from the Jean-Louis days. Anything you loved? Yes. Well, I, I love I love 99% of what, what he was creating. But I remember one day he decided to do something with figs and he wanted to do kind of a a dessert with figs. And he didn't really explain it. I don't think he really knew himself how to, how to do what he was asking us to, to create. And we didn't remove the skin of the figs. And that became so bitter. And it, the texture was so chewy <laughs> and so disgusting. <laughs> and we were like, we, can, we cannot really serve that. And we did, we did serve it, actually. Um, and uh, one great dish is uh, one day he brought back some live lampreys so those are kind of like monsters gigantic, I mean they are, it, it's part of the fish, it's fish family but it looks like a snake yeah, yeah. and they suck your blood <laughs> they were live they are monsters they were live and I was like he's, he's crazy we're not going to 
cook that today. So we killed them and so on just before the service. And he did an amazing, amazing lentre à la Bordelaise with a red wine sauce. And, and he was improvising with whatever we had and we added to the dish. So, yes, yeah, some some bad experiences that became funny and, and, and interesting, like the fig dessert. And then the lentre, which is the opposite, was like just genius. I mean, I wonder if there are people with the kind of freewheeling attitude that he had who are willing to do that kind of thing. Now, anyway, Le Bernardin was based on Le Bernardin Paris. Both are fish restaurants known for being fish restaurants. There were, of course, fish restaurants in New York and elsewhere before that, but not four-star fish restaurants, not this kind of glorious thing. I mean, I remember it. It was wonderful when you got there. It has continued, as we said in the intro, to be wonderful. You've brought it along. You have consistently made things fresher, simpler, lighter, and so on. But I wonder how you see things having changed in the last 25, 30 years. Well, when I started at Le Bernardin, I was very influenced by my background, my childhood. So I grew up in the south of France and uh, in the north of Spain. So all the flavors that I like and ingredients that I like were very Mediterranean-like. And and also I was very influenced, of course, by my mentors, which is Joël Robuchon and and Jean-Louis Paladin and so on. So the food that I was creating at that time was a polite compromise in between the vision of Gilbert Lecoz, who was the chef and owner of Le Bernardin, and ideas that I had. And Gilbert was, was from Brittany and I was from the South. So we were meeting in the middle and I was very respectful of him and, and very admirative of what he had done with Le Bernardin. Um, unfortunately, he passed away in 1994. It's when I had really the, the, the complete freedom to do whatever I wanted. and. Again, we started to see a lot of influence coming from my childhood and and from uh, influences from my mentors. And um, I started to find my my own voice uh, by basically being in the kitchen every day and creating dishes and so on and and saying, well, I like this style. I don't like that style. Actually, I should direct myself to... uh, uh, a certain simplicity that I really, really uh, like and and remove ingredients from the plates. And actually, I don't really care about presentation. Obviously, it's very important. And at the end, I will make sure that the, the dish looks good. But my main concern is to elevate the fish to the next level. And everything that's going to go in that plate will, um, will have this purpose. So I created the mantra for Le Bernardin that says, the fish is the star of the plate, which means we don't cook with fish, we cook for the mm. fish, and whatever is in, a, in that plate has a purpose, has a reason to be. And um, and then we have evolved because I, I live in New York, I'm a New Yorker 30 years later, obviously, and as you know, it's, it's a it's the capital of the world and we interact with different cultures and we, we see different techniques and the ingredients from other chefs. Uh, we are in New York. I mean, the chefs in, a lot of chefs in New York are very lucky because they can travel also. So we can go uh, in Asia, we can go in South America, go back to Europe and so on, or, or visit the US and, and discover again a lot of um, great food that comes back and uh, in some ways, digested it and and comes 
and comes again in with some influences in the dishes uh, that make uh, Le Bernardin food today. So I would say it's kind of like a natural fusion of cultures uh, that are inspired by my own personal experience. Uh, and then again, keeping the mantra, uh, fish is the star of the plate, let's keep it simple and let's uh, gather the best ingredients possible. And therefore, this is what I think the evolution has been in the kitchen. And Le Bernardin has evolved at the same time in the dining room with the service that was very formal, became much more interactive and relaxed. And also the decor in the dining room that was very French, uh, 1990s, yeah. 1980s. Yeah. And and today it's, it's much more contemporary with... Um, very conducive to uh, high energy and so on. I wonder how the fish itself has changed. We were both around in the in the eighties and early nineties when suddenly you could get fish from anywhere in the world via FedEx anytime you wanted. And I remember going into restaurants and them bragging about, "Oh, we got this from Honolulu, or we got this from Japan, or we got this from Spain." And then we went through a period where. No, that was not what you wanted. You wanted to say, we got this from Maine, and we got this from Cape Cod, and we got this from Long Island, and we got this from off the shore of New Jersey, off the coast of New Jersey. In other words, the fish is local and really, you know, this is what our area represents. I know you've been through all of that. How has that evolved, and and where are things around fish at now? Well, first of all, we do not serve farm-raised fish. It's all wild and all sustainable ever. Wow. I, except for the salmon for, from the Faroe Islands. And the, they are probably the best farm in the world by far. Um, but they have fjords and they close the fjords and very few animals that eat the natural food that is on, in this fjord, on those fjords. And then they have a, a way of, of making them grow and, and be happy and so on. So that <laughs> it's almost like eating wild salmon, but it's not. But except for that item, everything is wild at Le Bernardin. Everything is uh, sustainable. We don't want to serve endangered species. And then I would say 90% of the fish comes from the, the East Coast uh, in between uh, North North Carolina and and Maine um, and that where where we find most of our species and the benefit of that it's first of all we we um, support the the local f- uh, fishermen uh, in our region uh, so it's it's helping the economy obviously and then we have fish that is super fresh I mean I called Maine I call Portland. Uh, it, where they have an auction house for the fish at, before six o'clock at night. And I will get the fish in rigor mortis bef- tomorrow morning before seven o'clock. You cannot beat that. No, you can't. That's fantastic. Yeah. And are you limited much by if you're saying you're not serving, you're only serving sustainable fish? Are you limited much by that? Are you getting a variety that... As you know, we have those lists, right, that are telling you... So you have in the red, few species, and then the yellow, few species, and the green is whatever is sustainable. And those lists um, are very subjective, in my opinion, because uh, a caught fish that is caught by a tiny fisherman 
uh, with one line is not the same code that is caught by a factory boat or something like that. And yeah. so therefore, sustainability is, is very subjective. You have to use your common sense. You have to use those informations that come from uh, organizations like NOAA, which is a government, governmental organization. And uh, uh, then you, you find your way and you know, you know what is sustainable or, or not. Now, I have to say, in the US, I'm very impressed by the efforts of the government to create sustainability. They have, they have a very strict rules uh, and, and the, the fishermen follow those rules very carefully because they leave, they will lose the license uh, and their boat if they if they cheat. So uh, they have quotas uh, of fishing. They have uh, areas where they can go and fish. They have seasons where they can catch the fish or not. Uh, when the fish is reproducing, they cannot go, and and so on. So we are we are in the US uh, pretty well. Uh, uh, off with with uh, making sure that we do not deplete the population of the fish. One of the great success stories is the striped bass, and I'm sure you remember. At one point, striped bass was on the verge of disappearance, and the, the the stock was collapsing, and so on. And the government stepped in, and with the fishermen worked together. And today, striped bass is plentiful. And for many many years, we are enjoying that fish that is local and from the east coast. We're going to take a quick break now, and we'll be back with more in just a minute. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, folks. We have a new sponsor and an interesting one. We all take about 20,000 breaths a day, and Americans spend about 90% of our time indoors. That indoor air that we breathe can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air, according to the EPA. 
and indoor air pollutants can cause respiratory symptoms like sneezing, congestion, scratchy throat, and even more serious health problems like lung and heart disease. So, what's the solution? Introducing Air Doctor, the air purifier that filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so your lungs don't have to. This includes allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code BITMAN, B-I-T-T-M-A-N, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to our listeners, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com. That's A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code BITMAN. Hi, folks. A word from our friends at Made In. Did you know that most of the dishes in Tom Colicchio's craft restaurant are made in, made in pots and pans? The braised short ribs, made in, made in. The Rohan duck, made in, made in. The heritage pork chop, you got it, made in, made in. Which isn't surprising. Made In has been supplying top chefs and restaurants with high-end cookware for years. For the simple reason that Made In makes exactly what demanding chefs are looking for. Their carbon steel cookware, for example, combines the best of cast iron and stainless steel, gets super hot, and is rugged enough for grills or an open flame. Best of all, Made In is sold online, so their professional-grade cookware is far more affordable than other high-end brands. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes on menus all around the world have in common. They're made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from the 18th until the 27th. Visit madeincookware.com. That's madeincookware.com. Thanks. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out. I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. I'd like to segue to vegetables and talk about how that's changed at the restaurant and and maybe a little bit in your life, and then we'll talk about the book. But Somewhat in my mind, and and maybe in yours too, fish and vegetables are similar. They go together. They are anti-meat in a way, not anti, but but apart from meat. And 
very varied and zillions of types and so on. So maybe you feel the same way. I don't know. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm, I love vegetables. So when I was a kid, uh, I had a grandmother that was Italian, another one who was from Provence. My mother loved fine dining. However, we were not eating meat and fish every day. Uh, in Europe, we were eating fish on Friday because uh, it was a tradition. And then very often on Sunday, you had a roasted chicken or a leg of lamb. And then during the week, very little meat uh, or fish. Again, a lot of different preparations with vegetables. And, and again, I was lucky to be in the south of France where we had the best vegetables. Uh, oh, and the best. The, the, the taste and, and, and the fruits too are, are amazing. So I, I love all my life. I love, I love eat uh, vegetables and cook vegetables. And what I realized a few years ago is that Yes, at Le Bernardin, I enjoy tremendously creating with seafood and I eat fish every day. But on the weekend, um, when I entertain, especially in the spring, in the, in the summer and beginning of the fall, I go to the farmer markets, uh, I go to the farm stands if I am in the countryside, and I have tremendous joy in shopping and, and seeing the new string beans and the fava beans and the peas and the, the asparagus right now, or during the summer, the tomatoes. And, and, and then I bring all that back home and I do a little bit like what Jean-Louis Paladin taught me. I put it on the table and then I improvise. And I cook all those vegetables uh, very often separately with, with different techniques and spices and so on. And I have eight, nine, ten different preparations. And then I put them in the middle of the table. We invite, I mean, with COVID, it was a challenge, but we usually we invite 10, 12 people uh, along, those, uh, along the table. And it's very convivial and we, we share and, and everybody takes a bit of anything they want. And uh, we pay homage to, the, to each vegetable. They have their own personality. I call that personality, their own yeah. uh, um, qualities and so on. And because of that lifestyle, I said, you know what? I should do a book about vegetables. Why not? And and that's why I created uh, Vegetable Simple. When you were young, it sounds like you were eating, and maybe we can talk a little about specifics. It sounds like you were eating Italian, Southern French, Mediterranean. Vegetable Simple is the simplest collection of vegetable recipes I have ever seen. The title is perfect. When I think of Le Bernardin away, when I think of you, this is what I think of the simplest treatment of something that is legitimately called cooking in a way. Um, it's very much like your fish. Uh, can you talk about that, but also a little bit how different that is from what vegetables were like when you were growing up? So vegetables, when I was growing up, were coming from... Uh, so we, I was going with grandmas to the market, or my, my grandfather had a little garden in the back of the house, uh, and, and I was eating those vegetables. And they were not necessarily beautiful, and uh, they had little stains and so on, but they were, they were really, really flavorful. And then um, when I live in, in, in Paris, uh, when I was going to the markets, the vegetables were beautiful too, and, and, and delicious as well. But when I was going to supermarkets, they were just beautiful. And in America, when I came to the U.S., I was shocked by how beautiful the vegetables and, and produce were. But I was also very disappointed by the flavor. It, 
to me, it was such a huge difference in between the European products that I knew and the American products. And it's it's because they cultivate it in a different way to to have more yield and and so on. And uh, yeah. they, they harvest when the vegetables and fruits are not ripe, and therefore they can keep them for a long time. But vegetables that are not ripe and that become ripe in a supermarket don't have flavor. So that was for me a, a big challenge. Now, we are very lucky in New York. As you know, we have uh, Union Square Market on the Upper West Side. We have a huge market on Sunday that is uh, next to the to the Museum of uh, Natural History. We're starting to see a lot of um, organic products that are ending in, in stores and so on that are coming from uh, small small uh, farmers. And it's a big movement in the U.S. to support the local farmers. And that has made a huge difference for the quality of the of the produce that we are using. And the difference in in uh, complexity of dishes that you grew up with, vegetable dishes, and the kinds of dishes that you have in this book, which are cook this simply, put the tiniest amount of sauce on it, here you go. Actually, one recipe in the book has two ingredients. I mean, don't, we don't cut the salt and the pepper, but you take the tomato and you put olive oil on it, rock salt and cracked pepper. It's called uh, tomate croquelle in French. It's an appetizer. So if you have a tomato that doesn't taste like anything, that is full of water, and you cut that tomato, and you put olive oil, salt, and pepper, well, it, no, it's no pleasure. It's, it, mm. it's no flavor. It's nothing. It's, it's just like red. But if it is the end of August, beginning of September, and you have some beautiful tomatoes coming from a farm stand from a little guy and you choose the right one and you cut it and you put olive oil and uh, again, rock salt and cracked pepper, you are in heaven. It's an experience. <laughs> You're like, my God, this is, this is the best thing in the world. If you have something that is amazing, it doesn't need much to elevate yeah. the qualities of it. Well, I think you really show that well in here. This is it's a it's an unusual book in its simplicity and beautiful. So, congratulations! Thank you, on Thank that. you so much. It's impossible not to talk about COVID. Um, people are very curious about what happens in every restaurant in the last sixteen months or or whatever it's been, and the famous restaurants especially. So, can you walk us through a little bit about what the, yes. the Bernadan experience was like since last uh, February March? Sure. I think it was on March 10, I was watching the news constantly at Le Bernardin. We had a TV screen in our office and I was like, this is, is going to be really bad. And the virus was uh, in America and New York seems to be a target. And uh, I said, we cannot take the risk anymore to be open. Um, we cannot take the risk for our employees, for the purveyors and obviously the clients. We have to close. So I closed on Friday the 13th, a week before it became mandatory. Mm -hmm. And I was, of course, devastated, but at the same time, very relieved that nobody got sick. None of our, we had 180 employees at the time. None of them got sick. Uh, and then we were closed, I thought, for two weeks. And I will see them again, or three weeks maybe. And as you know, we were closed from March until October. So that was extremely, extremely difficult uh, financially, as you can as you can imagine, for uh, yeah. a business to stop like that. 
and 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 have no income at all and have a lot of expenses is extremely extremely challenging however we were able to survive the crisis because we were very conservative with the way we managed the restaurant and so on. We did a GoFundMe for our employees and raised 200 and something thousand dollars. We did another fundraising for our employees a bit later and we raised 250,000 dollars. So we were helping them in that way. We were trying to find jobs for them for as private mm-hmm. chefs uh, or in other states where it was not as bad. And uh, and the employees were kind of fine. We reopened in October at 25% capacity with a very strict protocol. And we even, even installed some machineries in our ceiling that killed the virus and so on. And uh, we operated like that for two and a half months. Then the governor shut us down again. And uh, again, nobody got sick. And I was very happy about that. And then we finally reopened. Uh, mid-March this year. And since then, I mean, now we are at 75% capacity, but we were until last week at 50% capacity. And uh, since then, uh, it's much better. However, Le Bernardin is in Midtown. Uh, The buildings are empty. People are working from their house. So we're not open for lunch. And then Broadway, Broadway is closed. So we don't have uh, people that are going to the shows, but we do about 110, 120 covers a night. We don't have any private events. So all of all of those things are challenging, but we are able to uh, to operate normally and to compensate our employees uh, properly as well with with uh, good salaries and so on and. Uh, and now we are waiting for, again, New York to be at 100%, Broadway to reopen, people to come back to work, and, and, and then we will be fine. But yeah. I see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm very happy that um, nobody got sick. All our employees are vaccinated, and, and that's, it's uh, also a relief uh, for us. Has the food changed in the last year? Were you able to work on new dishes? Were you, did you think about things differently? We, are, we have been working on new dishes, of course, since we closed. And our menu has changed quite a bit with, again, new dishes. It is challenging to find good products in general because a lot of little, especially when you deal with little companies or little farmers or, or fishermen, right? They have been so challenged by the crisis. A lot of them, unfortunately, went bankruptcy and a lot of them closed. And you do not find the products easily uh, because it doesn't exist any longer. I take an example. It was a family in Maine that was uh, picking crab crab meat. And uh, that family had the best crab meat in the Northeast. And they couldn't sustain. Because their clientele were uh, high-end restaurants all over the country and some luxurious hotels, mostly. And then when we closed, they couldn't sustain it. So they're doing something else. Right. And, and therefore, it's difficult. We have to find another source. We have to teach uh, people to, to do the right thing. Uh, and, and it will take a bit of time. But it will, it will, it will come back. I mean, I know there was little about COVID that was pleasant for anybody, but I wonder if you found 
solace or joy or whatever in cooking for yourself for a change? Well, I, yeah, you're right. Overnight, I became the private chef of the family. And, <laughs> and, and uh, I was in charge of breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And when we were actually in lockdown, I, I posted on Instagram all the food that I was doing for the family with limited supplies, whatever we were finding at the stores. And so no, no, nothing esoterical, nothing expensive. Um, very simple recipes that do not require 12 pots and pans because then I had to clean the pots and pans. Uh, right. I didn't have 12 burners. I didn't have help and so on. So I did, documented those recipes to help people that were in lockdown. And then in May, with World Central Kitchen, which is the organization of Jose Andres and City Harvest, that is um, the biggest food rescue organization in New York and in the world, we, we uh, worked together. And Le Bernardin was doing 400 meals a day that were going to doctors and nurses that were staying uh, in our neighborhood in hotels. They were here from out of state to support the New York doctors that were either way too tired or or sick by by the mm. by the virus and then at one point all those doctors and nurses left went back to their states and we uh, cooked for shelters so we were cooking 5 days a week 400 meals uh, for for shelters until december for from may to december were you doing those 400 meals at the restaurant or some other kitchen no in our kitchen in private events and we were doing and, that. And we were doing really, I, I was very happy. And I actually took a lot of pictures for my social media to inspire people to show what we were doing because the purveyors were very nice to us. They were giving us the food at cost or sometimes even like they were really uh, giving, gifting us the food. And, and we were able to give food that was restaurant quality to people uh, in shelters. Like when we were giving uh, salmon steaks was like an eight ounce steak of fresh <laughs> salmon with <laughs> beautiful uh, vegetables that we had at the, at the time and, and also something uh, uh, starch to be nutritional, right? And a sauce. We were making a sauce every day, a different sauce. And uh, actually, to make sure it was good and at the same time it was practical for us, we were eating that for our own lunch. And when it, I mean, if it was good for us, it was good for everybody else. One more question, and then I'll let you go. What have you been cooking for yourself recently? Let's get specific. What are you eating? Last Sunday, I made a chicken stew. Chick almost like a, a navarin of lamb, you know, like which is a stew with spring vegetables, spring and, vegetables paprika, yeah. and paprika and so on. But I did it with chicken. And as an appetizer, I think I... I find some beautiful asparagus and I made an herb vinaigrette with the herbs that we, we found and, uh, and the desserts, usually I don't take care of that because I'm really lousy and uh, the, fami <laughs> the family refused to eat the, my desserts. So no desserts. <laughs> that sounds appropriate. Well, soon you can give them strawberries, I think. So yes, they're coming. But this was really fun. It was great to catch up. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was my great pleasure and honor. Thank you so much for having me. Another recipe from Eric Repair's new book, Vegetable Simple. Um, this is warm golden beach with aged balsamic. So you take eight 
uh, medium-sized golden or yellow beets. Trim off the greens. You don't have to peel them. And you boil them in water to which you've added a cup of red wine vinegar and a big pinch of salt. So you cook that until the beets are tender, which is an hour or so. Um, If you have to add more water, do. And a thin-bladed knife that you poke into it will pierce the flesh easily when they're done. Uh, While that's happening, you take half a cup of aged balsamic vinegar and reduce it by half, which takes about um, 10 minutes, 8 to 12 minutes, Eric says. Cool that while the beets are cooking. And when the beets are done, turn off the heat, let them cool in the cooking liquid. When you can handle them, the peels will slip right off. If you've never done that, it's really quite amazing. Slice the beets in half, season with salt and pepper, and drizzle with that reduced balsamic. A lovely recipe. Okay, now's when we're going to answer a few questions from listeners. Hey, Mark. Uh, my name is Julia Shulman. I use your book all the time, by the way. I have a pet peeve. Why, when you're in a restaurant, before you even taste the food, the waiter comes around with this huge pepper mill and asks, Pepper? And shouldn't the food be seasoned properly before it leaves the kitchen? I never ask for more pepper unless I taste it first. But many people will just say, okay, pepper. Why? Freshly ground black pepper? Well, it's just become, it started in the 70s, which is a long time ago. But it's just become this thing that shows that you're a good restaurant, that you offer freshly ground black pepper. So... I have two interesting stories about this. Once, one is that my father, who, as you know, was a maniac, once went insane in a restaurant because they didn't offer him freshly ground pepper. Like, what kind of restaurant is this? No one comes over and offers freshly ground pepper. Um, that's one. And the other is probably the reason they started bringing pepper mills out from the kitchen or wherever, from the back of the restaurant to the table, is that people used to steal pepper mills and. I was once at a restaurant, again, with my parents and my friend Bruce, and I think his parents, and we brought our friend, who I refer to by his initials, which are JB, and um, JB stole the pepper mill, and they came running out after him and embarrassed us all in the parking lot. So, But it it is sort of, yes, of course the food should be perfectly seasoned, but you might want to put your own salt and pepper on it. I mean, my big pet peeve surrounding this is that they've taken – and this is pre-COVID, they've taken the salt off the table. So now you have to ask for salt if you want salt. So, yeah, it's a minor annoyance, but hopefully my story is made up for it. We're going to address one of your questions now with Kate and Daniel. Hello, this is Helen Conroy. Is there some step for cooking prep, or baking for that matter, that one always sees in recipes, but that you routinely ignore? I have one that I can think of off the top of my head. And that would be peeling ginger. I don't do it. I just take the ginger out and I don't chop it either. I just grate it with a microplane. And it seriously has saved me so much time every time. It's an awesome trick. And I'm super proud of it. Daniel? That's a good one. Now that you meant, it's funny, I was racking my brain when Mark asked the question. But now that you mentioned that, I feel like there's a million prep things that I never do. I don't peel carrots. I don't think I've ever peeled a tomato in my life. Not that all recipes call for that, but some do. And I don't think I've ever bothered. I never cut the little stem tip off of garlic. People can eat that. 
not a problem. I don't devein shrimp, which a lot of people don't like, but I just don't do it. I've never had a problem. People only complain when I tell them that I don't do it. They don't complain when they're eating the shrimp. So that's in the prep category. Cooking, I feel like there's probably a lot more. I don't soak beans that much because I don't typically know that I want to eat beans tomorrow. I usually just know that I want to eat beans today. So I just throw them in. That seems to be fine. Um, I often don't wait for the oven to preheat, especially when roasting vegetables or something. It's hot and it's getting hotter every second. So just put them in there and watch when they're crispy and they seem tender. You can eat them. Um, baking, I don't know. I mess with less and I bake less generally, but I don't think I've ever sifted anything before flour and baking powder and baking soda all together. Um, I think that's out. I'll measure in baking. I won't really measure that much in, in cooking, but we all, we all seem to survive. I'm with you. I, I went through a period of not even peeling garlic because my copy editor at the Times, Pat Garowski, used to say, well, the peel's going to come off somewhere along the line, but then you have to fish it out. So tomato peeling, absolutely. The shrimp deveining thing I once did a story about, and there were people who said shrimp tastes better if you don't devein it. So that was it for that. that. That just confirmed that that was the way to go. Right now, uh, we're going to pause, and Carrie is going to take one of your questions. Hi, this is Sarah Bills from Portland, Oregon. My question is, my family loves crackers, but I find the amount of packaging that comes along with store-bought crackers to be just too much. Do you have a great go-to cracker recipe so that we can make them at home? And bonus points for a grain-free cracker for when my celiac friend visits. Hiya, Sarah. Carrie here. And I'm going to help you with a rather breathless version of Mark's crackers. The full recipe appears on the Bitman Project with a lot more detail, but I think we can do it. 400 degree oven, preheat with a pizza stone or a uh, metal baking sheet to get hot while you make the dough. Then you're going to cut two tablespoons butter or good quality vegetable oil or olive oil, and a half teaspoon salt with one cup flour. I'm going to take the gluten-free challenge and say you can either use a one-to-one baking mix, people like Bob's Red Mill, though I haven't tried it for this recipe, Um, but I'm going to go for a half cup each chickpea flour and brown rice flour for a whole grain version. Doesn't that sound good? Let's try it. Uh, It either works or it doesn't. Uh, Okay, onward with the dough that does work. We've got um, this coarse meal now. We're going to add a quarter cup of water. It should come together in a ball. If it doesn't quite yet, um, add water one tablespoon at a time till it does. Knead a couple times, then cut the dough in half. We're going to work in batches. Put a piece of parchment paper down and sprinkle it lightly with flour, and then roll the dough to one-eighth inch thick. I know it's thin, but the dough is forgiving, and so are we. So um, if it, you have to patch it, whatever it takes to get there. Then score it into the triangle, squares, or rectangle shape you and your family like. And then the most important thing is poke it all over with a fork. This is called docking to help it bake evenly, you know, like saltines. It'll look a little bit like saltines. And then you take that whole piece of paper and pop it on the hot surface and let it bake for 10 minutes before you peek underneath and see if it's brown. If you've got some goldenness, going and the dough is firm to the touch and starting to get colored on top, then take it out. Otherwise, let it go another three to five minutes. Put it on a wire 
rack and let it cool while you work with the other half of the dough. Resist the urge to eat all the crackers right away. Let them cool, break them into pieces, and then store them in an airtight container, and they'll keep for a couple days. That's it for this week's listener questions. If you have a question about food, cooking, or whatever, call our listener question line at 833-FOOD-POD, or to put it another way, 833-333-6663. I want to remind you, I want to just say before leaving, uh, keep cooking. But remember, too, that the fight for better food for all is really a fight, a fight that involves justice, social, legal, racial, environmental justice, and more. Better food for all means better agriculture, more democracy, less inequality. Again, more than that, too. But in short, a better world is possible. Let's try to make it that way. Thank you once again to the talented, thoughtful, Thoroughly enjoyable Eric Repair, and congratulations to him and his team on their sixth four-star review from The Times. You can follow Eric on Instagram and Twitter at Eric Repair, E-R-I-C-R-I-P-E-R-T, and at Facebook at Chef Eric Repair. And of course, a big thank you to my co-host and producer, Kate Bittman, and our engineer, Davis Lloyd. And thank you all for listening. See you next week when we will have somebody awesome. Bye for now. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.